0: Precious Holy Spirit, fill us once again in this place. Encourage us, enlighten us, lift us up, that we might do your good work in the world. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, happy almost Fourth of July, everyone. Almost. The theme in public discourse and also in our scriptures the last few weeks has been on the topic of freedom. And so we get to continue reflecting on our freedom in Christ this morning, on the eve of our National Independence Day. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, St. Paul gave us that wonderful refrain, For freedom we have been set free. Which reminds us that God intends us to be free just for the sake of freedom no matter what we do with it. For better or for worse, we are always free to be autonomous, to make our own decisions, to be independent if we so choose. And so we give thanks today for this gift which empowers us to confront tyranny of of any and every kind. God assures us that we need not submit to domination or control. We will not be subject to any principality or power. Nothing at all will stand in the way of our freedom. Hooray! Fireworks. (laughs) And yet, of course, all Fourth of July rhetoric aside, (laughs) it's never exactly that simple. We know that. We know that pure unrestrained freedom is also a kind of anarchy, which can be problematic in the long term. We know also that people tend to do terrible things with their freedom sometimes, like we've been witnessing in the news. So we should also be aware of of Paul's larger context in this uh, letter to the Galatians. He wrote that for freedom we have been set free. Therefore, don't allow yourselves again to become slaves to sin. Paul also reminds the church that our freedom, it's not an excuse to engage in bad behavior. Yes, we are free to do whatever we want, but that doesn't mean that we should do whatever we want. We can be independent, but God's dream is actually that we be interdependent, that we would help bear one another's burdens, as Paul puts it. That we should pursue, pursue peace and unity in the bonds of love. Christ Jesus set us free, not in order that we would get caught up in seeking our own desires, but so that we would be free to do good, to follow the great commandments of loving God and loving neighbor as ourselves, to seek first God's kingdom and its righteousness. We are indeed free, and the purpose of our freedom is love. I think God's gift of Sabbath rest can be a good illustration and reminder of this. How we're we're taught in Scripture that in the beginning of the world, God designed people to stop and rest on a weekly basis. That's Sabbath. We were never meant to work nonstop seven days a week, and so when the people of Israel were forced to do that as slaves in Egypt, God set them free. The Sabbath then got included in the Ten Commandments. The people were given a day off, a weekly holiday, like the Fourth of July. And that's how, how often how it's thought of in churches these days. Sabbath, if it's recognized at all, means that one day a week people are free to do whatever they want. They can watch TV, they can play golf, they can go shopping, they can set off fireworks. The freedom we have been given is truly unconditional. For freedom, we have been set free. And yet, originally, the Hebrew people understood that the Sabbath was also intended to be a day of obligation, as well as freedom. Because God set them free from slavery in Egypt so that they would have time and space to worship God and be God's people The law of Moses said, Thou shalt remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, which meant prayer and devotion. Jesus later added acts of service and healing as activities appropriate for the Sabbath day. We too are free to do good on the Sabbath. It's not a day off. It's a day on. So there's some tension involved in the freedom we've been given. Yes, we're free to do whatever we want even to pursue our own selfish desires. But that wasn't why God set us free. We are meant to live for something more, to pursue justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus and blessing the entire world. That's what true freedom is meant to look like. And yet the unconditional nature of our freedom means that people will inevitably use it to make mischief anyway. Like trying to control other people and get their own way. This is what appears to have been happening in the church of Galatia, which is why the Apostle Paul was writing them in this letter. Some Christians were imposing restrictive laws on other Christians, telling them that they had to be circumcised and act like Judeans if they wanted to be a part of the community. But Paul wrote in response to this controversy that that would simply be another form of slavery, an infringement on the people's God-given freedom. Besides, he said, this Judean faction was only doing this in order to set up a kind of uh, self-righteous litmus test so that circumcised people could say to non-circumcised people that they were better than they were. It was creating division and unnecessary conflict in the church. So in the sixth and final chapter of the letter that Nadine read for us, Paul wrote that the issue wasn't even really about circumcision itself. What matters instead is that in Jesus Christ we have been made a new creation that is free. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, For we are all one in Christ Jesus. And this shared identity that we have as the people of God, it can't be undone by some made-up human distinction, no matter what it is. In our freedom, we sometimes try to get other people to conform, but that's not what Jesus was about. Christ rescued us so that we could love others, not so that we would control or oppress them. This dynamic came to mind for me the other day when uh, my friend Tim called me to lament the political events of the past couple weeks. He's a member of a conservative evangelical church uh, where there is much rejoicing over the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. But my friend Tim is not very happy about it. He was telling me about how he was out with out a restaurant with some friends from his church and they were talking loudly and joyfully about this decision And then he noticed that nearby there was another table of people who were clearly angry and disgusted talking about the very same thing. And all Tim felt was embarrassed. For him, it wasn't even about the issue of abortion. He said to his friends at the table, he said, you know, I think you all should think about what a negative effect this is going to have on the church. You know, three quarters of the public Uh, they were in favor of this freedom and uh, evangelicals just succeeded in taking it away. If non-Christians didn't like us before, they're going to hate us now. (laughs) So what does that do for the cause of Christ? I thought that was a brilliant insight he had. (laughs) The way my evangelical friend, friend reframed the issue. It was like Paul telling the Galatians that that their conflict wasn't really about circumcision. The deeper issue is the kingdom of God and division in the body of Christ. Does God want us to go around restricting people's freedom, forcing them to comply with certain moral standards? According to Scripture, our call is to love and serve our neighbors, which usually means freedom, not control right But of course again it's it's never quite that simple is it Cuz then my friend Tim he also went on to lament the other Supreme Court decision regarding a high school football coach in Washington state who wants to be free to pray with students on the field at the end of every game You heard about that right Shouldn't he be free to do that It's freedom right The Supreme Court, again, went went against judicial precedent to say that, yes, he should be free in that way. But at the same time, many have wondered, well, what if this coach uses his freedom to pressure students to free, to to pray? Is that how we're called to love our neighbors? What about the student's freedom not to pray? And what if the tables were turned it was a Muslim or Hindu coach? who is praying on the field. Would evangelical parents want their kids to feel obligated to participate in a different religion? Personally, I might be okay with it. I I don't feel offended by other religions. But my friend Tim, he had an even better reaction. He said, you know, I seem to remember a story about Jesus telling people that when they pray, they should go into their room and close the door and talk to God in private, rather than put on a public show. You know, that guy should probably read his scriptures more. That was Tim's reaction. And again, I loved how my faithful conservative friend managed to reframe that issue too. Because it's not just about freedom of religion. It's also an issue of humility and hypocrisy in the church. Which are another couple things that St. Paul touched on in this letter to the Galatians. When Paul encountered division in the body of Christ, he urged the church to double down on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That we should focus on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. This is what we've been given the freedom to do, and there's no law against these things. The courts don't even have to be involved. And then Paul wrote in this chapter that if we encounter a person doing something wrong, we who live by the Spirit should restore that person with a spirit of gentleness. Not with condescension or vitriol, but by exercising the law of love. This is what's meant to set us apart as Christians and it really is a countercultural calling if you think about it. In the midst of our very adversarial American system where two sides, sides fight about whose freedom should prevail, it's always pro choice versus pro life, Republican versus Democrat, individual rights versus states' rights. And yet, we Christians are called to show forth a more excellent way. We are to be a new creation not subject to these arbitrary distinctions. Sure, we're still free to get into debates and express opinions when we feel called to do so. But Paul writes that we have to be careful when we do this, when engaging in disagreements of any kind, lest we fall victim to pride, lest we start to think that we are superior to others more enlightened or virtuous. Instead, Christ Jesus has given us the humble ministry of reconciliation in order that we might be peacemakers, salt and light for the earth. The way of Jesus isn't about overpowering opponents or insisting on our own way. It happens through love and service And this, by the way, is is one thing I think is great about Highlands Presbyterian Church. I, for one, appreciate and value the the humble nature of our congregation. We may not be particularly powerful or influential as a church, but that was never Jesus' intention for his followers. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, go build megachurches and influence elections bend nations toward my will. He didn't say that. Jesus said, go teach people in every nation how to follow my commands. Do this by loving and caring for one another. Follow me in service. And isn't that what we try to do around here? I may be in danger of humble bragging here. But I, I do love how at Highlands Presbyterian Church, we, we try to show up for each other. We listen and express concern for one another. We rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We study together and reach out to neighbors together and welcome strangers together. We sing and pray and sometimes laugh or cry together. We're not perfect at it. Not by long shot. But at least in our way of following Jesus, we're striving to do these things that St. Paul described for us. Carrying each other's burdens, sharing with one another, using our freedom to encourage and to help, to grow in love and genuine concern for one another. Some people may see this kind of witness as a small thing, insignificant, but for those who believe It is the very power of God. For it is love that reconciles the world, not selfish ambition or political control. And we who have embraced this gift have chosen the more excellent way. St. Paul points out that this is still not easy. The cross never is. And you who have been around for a while, you know that Attempting to do good even in small communities is hard work, seemingly endless work. It takes constant vigilance. In the command for Sabbath rest, we're we're given the opportunity to rest from labor for, for one day a week at least, but when it comes to Christian love and service, there are no holidays. There's no summer slump. We know we can't just say, well, I've been serving others all week. Today I'm going to be a selfish jerk. No, we can't do that. <laughs> that's just not how it works. And there's no excuse in the public sphere either. It doesn't matter what happens in Congress or in the Supreme Court. At no point does the Holy Spirit lead us to declare, that's it, forget all this peace and reconciliation business. The gloves are off. No. We may technically be free, To do that. But we know it wouldn't be productive. At no point are we called to use our freedom as an opportunity to sin. Instead, St. Paul urges us to simply keep up the good work that we are already doing. Do not grow weary of doing good, he wrote to the church. Where sin abounds, live by the Spirit, so that the grace of God will abound all the more. Though neighbors and friends may may get down in the mud, by the grace of God, we will continue loving and caring for one another, sharing grace and peace with everyone we meet. And friends, we are not alone in this work. Our fortitude comes from the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, It is not even we who live, but Christ who lives within us, equipping and empowering us for every good work. God is here, especially in the midst of conflict and trial, lifting us up when we get down, giving us the strength to persevere in faith. May this be the spirit that we live by this day and every day in order that our freedom would be set to good purpose and that God's kingdom of love would come in us and in all God's people on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen.